Welcome to the Running After 40 podcast, the podcast about all things related to running at 40 and beyond, produced by www.runningwithgrit.com. We help you stay physically healthy and emotionally strong at any running pace. I'm Sarah, your host, and a wife, a full-time working mom with three kids, three dogs, and a lifetime passion for running. Whether you are a veteran runner looking to maximize your times as a master runner or a brand new jogger starting in your 40s, 50s, or any age, this podcast will be there for your journey. I want to share stories, secrets, and strategies for success. This includes mistakes and lessons learned, all related to running past age 40. Let's hit the play button together and hit the roads as runners with grit after age 40. Hey guys, welcome to episode 65 of the Running After Age 40 podcast. This is going to be a super fun episode. This one's going to surprise you. So uh, my guest, Laura Chambers, she wrote the title for this and she suggested stop peeing on yourself and start feeling more confident in your runs. Uh, And when she proposed this idea, she shared about how post-pregnancy, a lot of people deal with this. But I'm going to tell you, like, I never was pregnant. I've got kids that are adopted and I've dealt with this forever. So I think it goes much beyond pregnant. I'm sure like pregnancy, it's even worse. But I think I remember being on my running team, you know, when we were in college and it was an issue then. And I think it never subsides. So uh, for the men, I guess, listening, you know, they can probably skip over this one unless you want to understand why your wife like uh, or, you know, friends on the run has to stop all the time. So you might want to take, you know, this won't be too long, so it might be worth your time. But anyway, Laura, without further ado, why don't you introduce yourself? uh, Tell us a little bit about your background please. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Dr. Laura Chambers. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um, and I have also been a runner my whole life. I competed in track and field in college. I was actually a high jumper was my specialty though. So I used to like snigger at my distance running friends as they would go off on like miles and miles. And I'm like, guys, I'm just going to go jump today and like, you know, make fun of myself a little bit, but I loved being a power athlete and heavy lifting and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, post NCAA eligibility, there's not a lot for a high jumper to do without that mat on the other side to land on. Mm -hmm. So I converted more into distance running and I have been a distance runner and a triathlete pretty much ever since, um, besides the five or so years sabbatical while I had my children Mm -hmm. and just couldn't find the space. Um, so it's my, my, I guess my running background and, and I've been a physical therapist now for 14 years. Um, spent my first 10 years really specializing in orthopedics. And then when we started talking about having a family, it got me really interested in pelvic health. And so I've started specializing in pelvic health and now specifically in postpartum women who have incontinence or prolapse related issues. Um, And I love what you said, which is I specifically target postpartum women because it is so prevalent in that population to pee on yourself. But Mm -hmm. oh my word, it is by no means something saved only for postpartum women. It is in, like you said, like younger athletes. I see it have older women a lot of times who come in who have never had babies. So it's, it's across the board for sure. So interesting. So I want to start like one thing you shared is that the leaks are a sign of something more going on. And I mean, I know that, you know, my generation and probably a lot of people listening, like when we think of core, we still think of crunches and, you know, playing colds are like the big advancement. Right. So yes. tell us a little bit about like what why we should worry about this beyond just like having to, you know, spot the porta potties on our runs. 
hundred percent. I love that question because it it gets to really the root of this, which is like a coordination issue. And yes, the strength issue, but not always where you think it is. So the pelvic floor gets usually all the attention because ultimately to leak urine, it has to kind of run through where the pelvic floor can control. And so Kegels are the primary exercise, squeeze your pelvic floor, yeah. let it go, squeeze, let it go. And that's like what is always talked about. Um, and there can be a strength problem with the pelvic floor, but it can be too strong or it can be too weak. So I see people on both ends of that spectrum and commonly we don't think about a pelvic floor that's actually overactive and problematic in other ways. But then when we look at how the pelvic floor interacts with the rest of the body, it's got to coordinate with lots of pieces. Joint wise, it sits right in our pelvis. So it's got the pubic bone. It's got the SI joints in the back. The hips are right there, all of the spine joints. So if those joints aren't really feeling great, the pelvic floor can kick in and try to compensate and add some stability. Hmm. Otherwise around it, it's a huge muscular system that, yes, we call the core. And like you said, commonly when I say core, you think six-pack abs. And it goes so much farther than that. So even like the very top of our core that makes like the, the roof on it is the respiratory diaphragm. So our primary breathing muscle. If breathing is not coordinated well with the pelvic floor, then leaks can commonly happen. Same thing with our spine muscles. If they're over-gripping or overcompensating, then we're going to be pushing more pressure somewhere else. And so the pelvic floor sometimes is just a clue to us that there's another coordination or strength and balance going on. And as a runner, who doesn't want to know that their core is nice and strong? And the stronger your core is, then the stronger your runs are going to feel as well. So how do we know? Like how what what can we do to figure that out? Especially, I mean, people are listening to this podcast. We can't see you, but like, is there a way that we can, you know, are there are a couple of exercises you may you recommend to just check or to be able to evaluate ourselves? Yeah, great question. Cause you're right. I feel like the pelvic floor is an enigma largely because it is an unseen muscle group. Like if I want to know how my biceps working, like how many people in the gym do you see doing curls in the mirror? You can see everything that's happening. There's not a lot of people using a mirror while they're doing Kegels to see what's going on in their pelvic floor. So my favorite, just like simple thing for an average person to do, if you're trying to figure out is my pelvic floor overactive? Might it be underactive? Can I not coordinate well? Where am I going? Is what I call a Kegel test. So mm-hmm. just sitting comfortably in a chair, you're going to do a series of Kegels and I can talk you through it right now. It doesn't take long. So a Kegel being an isolated pelvic floor contraction. So sometimes it's described as like thinking of trying to stop your flow of urine if you were in the middle of a urine stream. So you shouldn't clench your glutes or squeeze your inner thighs. It should feel more internal to the base of the pelvis and just kind of like a squeeze and a lift that we're looking for here. So that's what I mean when I say Kegel. So for the test, just sitting relaxed, you're going to try to do a Kegel exercise at like 25% of your effort. So like a small, not a big squeeze, but a gentle 25% squeeze, hold it for about a second and then let it go completely all the way, kind of feel that tension drop out of the muscle. And then we're going to do it again, but you're going to squeeze this time 50% effort. And it's, you know, a range, but you're trying to go about half of your effort. So you're going to squeeze, hold it for a second, and again, let it go, feel that tension drop out. So now you have a totally relaxed muscle. We're going to do two more times like that. This next one's at 75% effort. So bigger squeeze, 75%, holding for a second. And then letting go, 
And then this final one, we're going to try to recruit that whole pelvic floor. So big squeeze, still not squeezing the butt muscles, but get big Kegel squeeze and then let it go completely all the way. So there's the test. And then the way you interpret that is first, could you feel a quick and easy and full let go between every contraction? Hmm. If not, you may have more tension in your pelvic floor than it needs. Your body has a hard time letting go of that tension and you might have a chronically overused pelvic floor. And so what you want to look at is more on relaxation types of training for the pelvic floor. Now, if you could completely feel it relax pretty well between every repetition, then you're going to start to look at, okay, could I do 25%, 50%, 75%? Could I feel like I could grade it like that? If not, you might need to work on coordination training, a little more tuning in, kind of feeling what your pelvic floor can do. And again, if you could, then we look at how did you do going to 75% and then even up to 100%? Could you do that without your glute squeezing? Could you feel like it was strong? And if not, then you might need to work on building some more strength and endurance and awareness also in your pelvic floor. Hmm. So this is great. So beyond like figuring that out. And uh, let's assume that I do this test and I have a problem. So obviously it's going to help me so that I don't have to stop and pee while I'm running, but like how else would it benefit my running if that was me? And I started doing some of those exercises, like the proper things. Yeah. So, so that is really just kind of an assessment of what is my pelvic floor itself doing? So if you find that you have an overly tight pelvic floor, then you could be actually getting some hip pain. That's not coming from your hip. It could be a trigger point in your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Same thing for like your back or your pubic bone, or sometimes it's even like abdominal, like menstrual crampy pains. Pelvic floor can refer other pains. So if you have a niggly little pain in that pelvic hippie region, that's really not going away. I am by no means diagnosing, but if you also find you have trouble relaxing your pelvic floor, you could actually help some of those chronic pains by bringing better relaxation to the pelvic floor. Now, I should also say in that same realm, obviously, like we said, there is a huge muscular system of the whole core that wraps around and helps support the pelvic floor. So sometimes an overactive pelvic floor is overactive because somebody else isn't pulling their load. Mm-hmm. For running, a lot of times I see that happen in the glutes. If your glutes aren't on board or you kind of have that little flat butt look or you're not being able to power through the glutes, then your pelvis needs stability and it might gain that through the pelvic floor. So there might be a combination of relax and release your pelvic floor while trying to find those glutes and start training those glutes. And by golly, does a run get more powerful if you got that big beefy glute muscle on board as well? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really helpful. And then I'm going to come back to something you mentioned earlier, which was the diaphragm and breathing. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any, you know, exercises or recommendations to check, you know, how how that is all related? How can we improve that? Yeah. Great question. And one of my, I think the glutes and the diaphragm are my two favorite muscles in the whole body. The diaphragm is just such a uniquely shaped muscle and and its its anatomy is kind of important to that question. So the diaphragm sits at the bottom of the rib cage, which is also the base of our lungs. So it it kind of rests up like a dome. So you picture it kind of attached along the whole bottom of the rib cage, fronts, sides, and back. And then it rests up into our chest cavity some. So when it contracts, it pulls downward. I like to kind of compare that to opening a balloon, or excuse me, an umbrella. So if you open an umbrella, the sides flare out and the center of it pulls down. 
that's kind of how the diaphragm works. Breathing wise, that's great because it stretches open the lungs and it pulls in oxygen. But from a mechanic standpoint, what that looks like externally to us when we're trying to assess the diaphragm is if you take your hands and you kind of place them on the sides of your lower rib cage, so fingertips in the front, thumbs kind of going towards your back, and you take a couple great big breaths and you feel what happens. And so an, kind of a, an analysis of that would be, A, could you feel your lower rib cage expand? Again, picture that umbrella opening. You should kind of feel it stretching out wider into your hands and a little bit spreading to the front and the back. What you shouldn't feel is a lot of neck muscles, shoulder muscles, shrugging or arching of the back, which would all be potential compensators if the diaphragm isn't working optimally. So then to exercise that, if you weren't feeling that good rib cage expansion in and out with the breath in, then you would work on that. So put your hands on your rib cage. I like to give a little extra squeeze into the rib cage because it cues your body when you breathe in to push back out against your hands and try to feel your body start to get that expansion a little bit while feeling relaxation in the upper body. So you're not lifting your shoulders or seeing your neck muscles bulge out in order to help you create that space in your lungs. That's yeah, that's fascinating. What if you're like running? <laughs> what if you're yeah. on the run? How can you check your breathing and and see how you're doing while you're actually out there? Yeah, for sure. Great question. So I always say this, you know, posture, I think is a big thing when you're running, mm -hmm. um, being able to feel what you're doing when you're fatigued, those kind of things. And I always tell my runners when I'm working with them is you don't get better while you're running at those things. That has to be something that you train your body to do when you brush your teeth, when you put in your contacts, when you're washing dishes, you start to feel, oh, wait, what's my posture like? What's, you know, let me practice this all day long so that when I'm on a run and distracted and I'm exhausted, I know what that feels like. And that's the same kind of thing for the diaphragm. So to start with, I would not expect someone to be able to sit in their car right before meeting a group for a run, do a few diaphragm assessments, and then go for a run and integrate that diaphragm. It mm -hmm. would be probably several weeks of every you know couple hours at home, you stop and do five to 10 breaths, hands on your rib cage, feeling your diaphragm, starting to learn it, letting your body go, wow, I never really tuned into this part before to realize how it was functioning or not functioning. So you start to tune in and create that body awareness. And then you start to integrate it into more things. You mentioned plank for core in the beginning. I love integrating diaphragm breathing into a plank, even an, an elevated plank. So it's a little bit lighter, but start to feel how your ribs can expand while your body is working. And then through that process, again, you've learned the diaphragm better. And now when I'm on a run, I can absolutely go, oh man, my back is arching. I'm breathing up into my shoulders. Let me reset my posture, feel my diaphragm. And I can feel it even expand, kind of my back expands, my sides expand. And that feels so much better in my posture, in my spine muscles that like to get tight, and most definitely in my pelvic floor where I used to feel a lot of prolapse symptoms or a lot of tension pressing into it. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that idea of just practicing it while you're brushing your teeth <laughs> or sitting yes. at your desk and just little tangible things like that that don't have to take, you know, a 30-minute, you know, therapy session. Right. But, but bringing back to that, so tell me how, like, how do people find someone like you? Like, is it, 
you know, how, how could you find a physical therapist if you're in this kind of predicament and you're like, I probably don't know the right exercises. Yeah, I've done this breathing. I did the quick test. I obviously have some problems. Sure. Uh, you know, how, how do you even begin to approach that? Yeah, great question. So the first thing, if you're looking for something local to you that you would look for is probably a pelvic health therapist, physical mm-hmm. therapist, or um, what has historically be con- been, been called women's health, but we treat all, all genders and lots of more, more things than just women's health. So we kind of ten- have tended to ad- adopt the word um, pelvic health at this point. Mm-hmm. And so you could look for a physical therapist in your area that, that treats pelvic health. Now, if your symptoms are very running specific, you might want to ask some more questions. Obviously, everyone in the medical field is a bit specialized. And if you're seeing someone who doesn't typically treat athletes, then yep. you might, you know, get a different treatment program than if you do find someone. So, so that's option one. My my challenge in my career has always been I feel like the people who need me can't necessarily find me. And again, yeah. in my niche postpartum women and who in the early postpartum phase, I mean, even first 15 years of of having kids really has time in their schedule to come see me three times a week for six weeks. And if you're really going to make a muscle change happen, you've got to train your body for six to eight weeks and you have to make progressions. So I can't teach you everything in one session and say, go home and do it on your own. So what I've done into transition in my career now is I actually, I left the clinic and I've started a 100% virtual business that I can reach anyone in the, in the U S or beyond. Honestly, I have only U S clients right now. Um, and I can connect with them. There is video content that kind of explains really in obviously lots more depth than we can go into today about how does posture impact the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, the glutes, all of those core muscles, um, what does pregnancy do to the body that might make some changes happen that mean you need to correct them postpartum again? And then it takes you through four progressive phases of how do we find these muscles to start with, like the diaphragm and the pelvic floor? We kind of talk through quickly, how do you find those muscles and, and what do they feel like? And then four phases of find them and then start to integrate them and then start to challenge them more so that you come out feeling like your whole core is really integrated and strong together. Because it's not really about being maximally brute strong as much as it is about having really smooth coordination as those groups can kind of work together and use each other for support. I see. No, thank you. That that helps clarify things. I want to go back to just the peeing. <laughs> so yeah. obviously we've discussed like the the exercises. What else can someone do? I mean, the obvious things are, you know, restricting liquids, which we don't want to do, avoiding caffeine. You know, those were always my go-tos, obviously, just knowing that where the porta pots are on the run. But especially like if you're going to plan a race or, you know, is there something, do you have any other recommendations for people that are, especially if they're postpartum and they're really having tough issues until some of these exercises kick in, what else can you do? Yeah, great question. And I would say there's two sides to that to answer that. One is there are two different kinds of urinary incontinence. Mm -hmm. One, which is kind of what we've been discussing up until now, more so it's what we call stress incontinence. Mm -hmm. It's your body is leaking urine because of a stress placed on it. Could be a cough or a sneeze or going for a run and the pounding of that run. So something stressful is creating that leakage. To help manage that, 
We're more so talking about kind of these exercises we've talked through. And some of them can be quick bang for your buck. If you've never really tuned into your pelvic floor since having kids or maybe your whole life, never known what it was, just starting to tune in can get the brain re-engaged with that muscle and start to use it more. So it's not always eight weeks of strengthening before you see results. Commonly, I have people start to get really good results within the first several weeks because they're reintegrating to muscles that they hadn't really been using fully before. So, so that's one side of the, of the question. Now, the other side is there's another kind of incontinence called urge incontinence. And this is that all of a sudden out of the blue, oh my gosh, I got to go now or else I'm not going to make it kind of feeling. And I hear runners talk about this a lot too, because it's, so it's not just little drip here and drip there as you go through the run, right. but it's, I just peed before I left yes. and I'm 10 minutes into a run and I happen to, you know, maybe something in the environment triggers the bladder or, or who knows, but all of a sudden I got to go and I got to go right now. Yeah. So urge incontinence, we deal with differently. That's not because your pelvic floor isn't strong enough. That's more of the bladder trying okay. to squeeze and empty that urine out before it is actually full and when it's not really time. And strategies for urge incontinence are helping give a calming signal to that bladder so that that bladder realizes, oh, this isn't the time to go. Now, mid-run, you can try this and see if it helps you, but definitely training your bladder outside of a run. If you tend to have high urgency outside of a run, every time you pass the bathroom, all of a sudden you feel like you've got to go. Or every time you put your key in the door, when you get home, all of a sudden you got to go. If you have those kind of urgency triggers otherwise in life, My favorite strategy is what I call quick flicks of the pelvic floor. So it's literally in that moment when you're going, oh, crap, I got to go. I got to go right now. What you're going to do is you're going to squeeze your pelvic floor and let it go five to six times pretty quickly. And it's not a big squeeze and a full let go. These are just like mini. That's why it's called quick flick because you're just doing little mini contractions. Okay. But physiologically, what that does is that rapid activation of the pelvic floor creates a reflex loop to the bladder that says, whoa, the pelvic floor muscles are super active. It must not be time to empty. And it can signal those bladder muscles to relax. And so in that moment, your goal is to get them to relax so you don't literally pee on yourself. Yes. (laughs) But the other thing you want to do is do that over time. Because if you've had a lot of urgency, then you probably have too much urinary frequency, meaning you go to the bathroom more than every two to four hours. Mm -hmm. And once your bladder is in that habit, we've got to retrain it out of that habit. And so it's not just a matter of put your key in the door and you feel like you got to go. So you do your quick flicks and then you get to the bathroom. If you just peed before you left work and it's a 30 minute drive home, even though you have that huge urge when you first get home, see if you can do some quick flicks and delay going to the bathroom. Ideally, with normal hydration, you want to be going about every two to four hours. And so you might need to, again, during normal life outside of runs, look at what your habits are and see if you can start to train the bladder into longer holding habits. Yeah, I. this is so important. I think especially for people that are do like what I find is I'll like withhold liquids, like, uh, you know, if I have a car ride or something like that. And then it's like, if you're going to a race or something, and then now you're going to end up dehydrating that this is just such valuable information. I can't thank you enough. Uh, I I know that one other thing you mentioned to me that we didn't discuss was rib cage angle. And I, I know nothing about that. So tell me what that means and how this relates to everything we've discussed. 
Yeah. So, so rib cage angle would be look at yourself in the mirror without a shirt on, ideally probably without a bra on as well. Okay. And you're going to use your hands go. So your fingertips are going to go right at the very, very bottom of your breastbone. So the center line of your rib cage followed all the way down to where you get to the fleshy part of the abdomen. So you're going to touch there and then you're going to, your fingers in, down into your palms are going to then find the, the border of the middle part of your rib cage. So you're kind of figuring out what angle is created there at your lowest part of your rib cage. And roughly you want that angle to be about 90 degrees, which is just kind of average spacing. If your ribs are significantly wider than that mm -hmm. or significantly more narrow than that, that's an indicator that your core muscles that connect and, and um, influence the shape of your rib cage are not balanced. Mm -hmm. So one really common thing that I see leading to leaks in athletes especially is what we call upper ab gripping. So the external obliques are really upper abs that come from the sides of the rib cage and kind of come down towards the midline of the body. If the body, for whatever reason, has learned a pattern of stability, that means overusing those external obliques, mm -hmm. then they're going to crunch down the rib cage a little bit. And that narrowing of the rib cage angle is what we'll see. So you would have less than 90 degrees. This can also look like if you're looking at yourself just relaxed without a shirt on in the mirror, oftentimes there'll be like a little crease line, like a literal red line in your skin where your body has kind of creased that upper abdomen throughout the day, over gripping in those muscles. And okay. the reason that it is bears for the pelvic floor is you picture your core like a balloon. The bottom of that balloon is the pelvic floor. If I take the top of that balloon with my hand and I squeeze it, can you picture how the top of the balloon relaxes, but all that pressure is now being really forced down into the bottom of that balloon? Hmm. So yeah. if when you're being athletic or sneezing or anything else, if you are way over gripping in those upper abs without balancing it through the rest of the body, then you're constantly forcing more pressure down into that bladder and into the pelvic floor. So okay. learning to let go of those upper abs a bit and recruit more of the lower abs can help balance out your system. Got it. No, that's that's a really good explanation. And you did a good job on audio of, you know, putting it <laughs> to words that we can understand. Uh, Laura, this this was really, I think, impactful information. What is there anything I haven't asked you that you think that the listeners should know about this area? Man, I think just my, my biggest thing is don't accept that you have mm -hmm. to leave either because you've had babies or because you've done it your whole life. I sure. think one thing that modern medicine is really bad at is just telling us to kind of live with things because the practitioner that's in front of you doesn't necessarily know an answer for you. Yeah. And I feel like most things in the body are what I say, figure outable, meaning yes. that we can, we can weave through. Sometimes we got to look at the body more holistically and again, maybe improve your shoulder mobility in order to help your pelvic floor. That sometimes has to happen. But mm -hmm. if you have a problem that is, that is limiting you from doing what you love, which mm -hmm. as a runner, I don't want to be limited by peeing and I don't want anybody no. else to either. I would say just find an answer. Keep, keep asking the questions, keep looking, and there should be an answer. That's, yeah, no, that's helpful. Tell us where we can find you. So if someone wants to, you know, follow you on social or look at what you have to offer, you know, how can we find your, your how can we find you, all the stuff? Yeah, yeah, I'm on Instagram. It's Dr. Laura underscore peak wellness. 
Okay. Um, and I post on there pretty regularly with some tips and stuff about pelvic floor and postpartum healing. And then there's my website at www.peakwellnesstn.com. Um, and on there, I, I should mention there's a one hour free webinar that you can sign up for that goes really in depth about how do posture this whole core system, including the glutes and the diaphragm and the paraspinals and the things we talked about today, how do they really interplay with the pelvic floor? And it okay. gives some great ideas from the very beginning level all the way through some advanced ideas of how you from home right now can start to assess yourself and work on those things. Wonderful. And I will put those links in the show notes too. So people, if you're out there running, you don't have to remember that or write that down. Laura, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I hope everybody goes to your site and takes advantage of that resource. Uh, and again, hopefully this just cuts down. Like, think about it. Even if you cut, minimize your ping a little bit, <laughs> it's such a success. <laughs> and if it can help, like, with your speed and just your overall frequency of energy injuries, sorry, uh, it's all just remarkable to me. And to think that... You know, I guess I just never knew the correlation. I've heard about it in, you know, recent years, but this is the best explanation I've heard. So can't thank you enough. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Running After Age 40 podcast. If you like the show, please be sure to rate and give us a like in iTunes. Also check out our website, www.runningwithgrit.com for all things related to running over the age of 40. We have a special gift guide up for the holidays on the site designed to share stocking stuffer ideas and gifts for runners at pretty much every price. Thanks for listening.